0: Welcome to another episode of Focused on Christ, where we are passionate about exalting Christ and equipping the church. I'm Mike Crump here with Pastor Nathan Smith, and on today's episode, we are taking a look at another minor prophet. His name is Zephaniah. Now, Nathan, what do we know about Zephaniah?
1: Zephaniah. Well, first, why did you call him a minor prophet? Is he not as important?
0: (laughs) We've already covered this. Okay. Yes. (laughs) We already covered all those already, okay, in a previous episode. (laughs) It's minor because the books are smaller. That's all. The books are smaller. Not insignificant. So you're saying the book is not as important because it's smaller. All right. (laughs) I'm done. I'm out (laughs) of (laughs) here.
1: Another important question that our listeners have been asking is, why does Pastor Nathan always wear a black shirt? Yeah. (laughs) So I'm looking at the camera. You know what?
0: Well, we have kind of a light versus dark thing going on yeah, here. The, so. the
1: Sith versus the Jedi. Exactly.
0: Um, a, if you're not watching uh, the uh, video podcast and you're missing it, but that's okay. It's, it's all right.
1: Well, you know, after we're done recording a couple of these, um, I'll, I will make sure to make note not to wear just a black <laughs> shirt. In my defense, someone told me that when you're on camera, you have to wear a dark color. Otherwise, it washes out the recording. Uh, whatever. The recording? Or it something. It just makes things really difficult. Makes things really difficult. And but you like you like to make things very difficult. I do, I do. But which th- is th- why th- we're th- having this conversation. Exactly. <laughs> and then then you told me that I can wear bright colors. So so I'm I'm going to look forward to wearing bright yellow next week, like a Hawaiian shirt. I can't wait. Or something. I can't wait. What was your question, Zephaniah? Yeah, who is Zephaniah? <laughs> what do we know about Zephaniah? <laughs> okay, the book of Zephaniah. You know, we're looking at him uh, written during the reign of King Josiah. So yeah. if you remember from last time, mm-hmm. Josiah, one of the godly kings. And what's interesting in Zephaniah, so Zephaniah is picking up on the reforms mm-hmm. uh, that, that Josiah is doing, and he himself gives a little bit of a, you see what we're seeing here, the return to God? There's going to be a day when there's going to be a full restoration, mm. a full return to God, but there's also going to be judgment, judgment for the evil and that God cannot overlook. Yeah. He has to respond to injustice. So Zephaniah is given this prophet an important the albeit short little book prophet, (laughs) reminding people of both justice but also God's grace.
0: Yeah, and I think that goes back. We talked a little bit about it last week, but the wrath of God is still going to land upon Judah. Even though Josiah is making a transformation, even though he is moving towards a desire to restore uh, worship of Yahweh, there is still going to be judgment upon Judah because of their sin. Mm-hmm. And so Zephaniah is reminding them of that. Because I can imagine that as they're seeing the restored, they're seeing the, the temple kind of cleaned up and everything, and they're, they're doing Passover again, and all of this is happening, that you probably have some complacency that's like, okay, we've missed out on it. We're good. Now we can just kind of move forward. And Zephaniah is there to say, no, no, no. The wrath of God is a very real thing. It is coming. And so, But there will be a remnant. There yes. will be those who are truly of Yahweh who will remain. Um, and so this is very much just the continuation of what we've seen in the other prophets as well.
1: It is a very, very similar message. And I know that sometimes our readers very practically as they're reading through the Old Testament, mm-hmm. it seems like with the prophets you're going from proclamation of gloom and doom <laughs> to proclamation and gloom and doom. <laughs> but you have to remind, remember, we all have to remember yep. that God's, is actually God's grace and mercy saying, mm-hmm. Do you realize there's a cliff and you're walking straight towards it? Yeah. There is a tidal wave of justice that is about to sweep all injustice before it. And so these are warning signs that yeah. says turn, 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 deviate, deviate. So these are graces of God yeah. trying to point the people back to Yahweh.
0: Amen. And along those lines, as we get into talking about wrath, and there's a lot of very— visceral imagery in Zephaniah and just some of the what he talks about in the wrath of god I think it's helpful for us to just stop here for a second and consider what the wrath of god is not mm-hmm. because the wrath of god it is one thing but it's not another thing it's not random mm-hmm. you know our god is not a god who is just randomly destroying people um, mm-hmm. out of a pleasure that he has some de- destructive pleasure uh, it's not because of an outburst of rage because our god is patient and mm-hmm. kind, and he is slow to wrath, um, and also it's not undeserved; mm-hmm. it is a just wrath. Um, and I think one thing that's sometimes hard for us is that it's not immediate. Mm-hmm. You know, we want we want immediate justice for mm-hmm. all those who are doing wrong right now, not not ourselves, but everyone else doing those immediately. And a lot of times, God is very slow in this, and that's what we see with Israel. Right? Mm-hmm. There's just been this long time um, of coming. So that may be what wrath is not, but Nathan, why is wrath even necessary? Why, why is this a necessary reality?
1: So I, d- I think it's important. You've already touched on it, Mike. But we come into this term with baggage. We come into this term with preconceived notions. We think of wrath as being something that's just simply an emotive reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think of unjust anger. Some, some of us view anger wholesale yeah. as wholly wrong. Like There's never a place by which there can be a righteous anger. Yeah. And actually, that's very much part of the spirit of our day. Mm. Or there's a rage. Yes. There's the rage at the machine type of mindset. Uh, So when we talk about wrath, we have to define it on biblical terms. Mm. So how do we understand it? Uh, This is helpful when we look at specific terms or concepts like wrath, like love. You look at a lot of different scriptures to help formulate a clear picture of whatever that concept is. Mm -hmm. We we call that systematic theology. You kind of look across all the scriptures and you look at all these examples and you bring them together to get a clear picture of that concept. With wrath, one of the most helpful passages is Romans one and then Romans chapter two. So in Romans chapter one, it says, the wrath of God has been revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. The Greek word that is used there for wrath is the word "orge," which has the idea of a of a judicial wrath. Mm. It, it is it, it can carry emotion, but it's more like the justice levied by a judge. Okay, okay, someone who's declaring this is wrong, mm-hmm. and here is the right response to that. Okay, I'd like to point out that even as fallen human beings, we rejoice when a judge levies judgment on a sin that we all agree is egregious. Yes, very much so. I mean, you have to be a really warped individual to not see that there should be justice Mm -hmm. for even the most egregious of sins. Yeah. You even have movies. I mean, movies that are totally built around this premise. Oh, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen them. Actually, I do legitimately mean that, but (laughs) The Punisher or The Equalizer, you know, and it's this vigilantism of Batman, you know, bring—I've seen that one. That's actually—some of them are pretty good. (laughs) Some of them are pretty terrible, too. (laughs) But it's a vigilante, like, bringing justice. Yes, we're going to
0: take down the bad guy. We're going to make sure things are made right.
1: So it's inherent humanity. We want justice. Yeah. But like you said, we want justice for them, not for us. Okay, so that's the first word. Now, on the second word in Romans chapter 2, it says also the thumos of God in the Greek. Now, this word has the idea of a raging, flowing, Mm. emotional anger. Okay? Yeah. It's very important to keep these both in tension. Okay. Um, I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and kind of wrap this up because yep. I know this is a big concept and it can take a lot of time. Judicial wrath, because God is objective and just. Emotional wrath. It's not it's not some sort of capricious off the cuff, mm-hmm. but it's deeply emotional. Why? Because God the Father is angry that his most beloved son has been trampled by our sin. Mm. God the Son is. Is angry that his father has been maligned. And if you have someone who's more precious to you than anyone or anything, mm-hmm. and you do not respond in anger when they've been violated and hurt, what does that tell you about the way you view them? Yeah. It must mean that you don't really care for them. Yeah. Matter of fact, our, our justice and, and the wrath and anger against the assault of someone that we love validates their worth. Amen validates that they are beautiful and precious. Mm. So why would God not be angry with our sin? If he was not angry with sin, it would actually invalidate his holiness. It would invalidate the worth of the son, and it would invalidate the worth of the father. Mm. Big answer, short question. It's emotional, it is judicial, but it's never unjust, it's never wrong, and it's never just whimsical. It's not capricious.
0: Yeah, I think that's very important to think about as we consider these things. Nathan, thank you for that. I think kind of expounding on that is very helpful for us as we consider the wrath of God. Um, And we see the kinds of people, if you will, that are about to experience the wrath of God. Zephaniah describes them. He says, it's those who bow down on the roofs to the hosts of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Mm. Lord and yet swear by Milcom. Those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. So here we have people who are maybe speaking of the Lord in one sense, but yet they are worshiping other gods. These are those who have rejected Yahweh, and he is the one who has delivered them. And why, and I guess that that gets to the answer to this question, but why does idolatry in Israel bear such a heavy weight of wrath? Because this is something we see constantly throughout uh, the Old Testament.
1: Well, there's a big difference between not having any concept of Yahweh mm-hmm. and then just trying to fill the void with your imaginations. Yeah. That's that's one form of idolatry. Or there's the idolatry that the Israelites got, and that is God actually showed himself yeah. at Sinai, showed himself at the Red Sea, shows himself through the Torah. They have a clear, this is God, and it's indisputable. Mm-hmm. This is the only God, powerful, holy, righteous, worship him, and then look at he, looking at him and going like, ah, uh, nah, I'm mm-hmm. going to actually just worship this stick of wood, an Asherah pole. Yeah. I'm going to design a golden calf and worship that instead. Yeah. So that is, one, one bears rejection from revelation that is ignorant-based. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Israelite rejection is getting the knowledge, seeing it, and making the active decision that I don't want that God.
0: Yeah. And I think any of us who has felt kind of that kind of rejection before, where it's Mm. like I am choosing to turn from you, yes, for whatever the reason is, that is a great pain. Yes, and um, especially after we see all that God has done for the people. I mean, they He chose them in Abraham. They were rescued out of Egypt. They were given the truth, the very words of God in the Torah, and they have been. Raised up and, through David and powerful nation, and yet all of that means nothing. Yes, compared to an Ashraf or whatever it may be.
1: Yeah, the, it's a very personal rejection. It's almost like someone in a different country who has just a uh, general prejudice against uh, Americans, mm-hmm. or, or maybe you towards some other ethnicity. It's just a general like I don't want, I don't like for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah. That type of rejection is a lot different than your child or a family member who you've given years of mm. love and affection. And then they look at you and say, I hate you. And mm. they shake their fist at you and reject you. Yeah, The depth of that type of rejection is completely different. Yeah, And that's what Israel did with Yahweh. Yeah.
0: And because of that, they are going to experience, historically, as we'll see, they're going to experience the wrath of God. But in Zephaniah, we also see that that wrath is not just for Judah. He, he speaks of a wrath that is for all of mankind. Zephaniah 1, 17 and 18 says, I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them. And he continues on talking about this day that God is going to bring because of his jealousy, that he is going to bring this wrath against uh, the world and all mankind. So as we read Zephaniah, yes, we understand he's speaking to Judah. Can we make that jump to say, yes, this is also for the end of time? That's kind of that near-far prophecy
1: Yes, I, defi- I definitely think you can and should, okay. that there are immediate effects and the effects of this prophecy, mm-hmm. the effects of these condemnations and even graces, but there's also a pointing towards this end result. Yeah, um, Many, many Old Testament prophecies have a near and far as you reference fulfillment. A near for the present, mm-hmm. and also a far, a reminder of, and there's even bigger day coming. Mm. One of the fa- uh, favorite phrases in the Old Testament is the day of the Lord. Yes, There's an immediate day of the Lord, and for the northern kingdom, uh, you would have had that being the Assyrians. In the southern kingdom, that was Babylon. So you have that, the- these are the days of the Lord for that day and age. But then you later have the day of the Lord. That's like the ultimate day of the Lord, mm. the day of Justice, mm. And he's speaking that not only for Israel, but for all the nations.
0: Yeah. Now, he mentioned something in this passage about God being a jealous God. And I remember years ago, Oprah was talking about mm. this. And she, <laughs> the fount of all theological yes. wisdom. And, and she said that this is what turned her off from the God of the Bible, was that he was jealous because she saw that as very petty. Mm. And that if he's truly God, then he wouldn't be jealous uh, and you kind of hinted at it earlier, but why is it right to say that God is a jealous God? Mm.
1: Uh, you know, Oprah is, is an incredibly intelligent woman and incredibly eloquent. I mean, I, I do admire the, the giftings that she has in terms of just her natural intellect. Uh, and yet she uh, has a misunderstanding that many many have fallen into, mm-hmm. and that is we take the word and we build it off of our own frail understandings. Uh, So we might say God is love, and then we only think of love in the terms that we have it Mm -hmm. or that we know it. And it's not really love at all. It's more lust. It's more of a desire for what can please me. You always have to define these words according to how Scripture defines them. And frankly, people who are intelligent should apply the same the same principles that they use in generic linguistic studies, mm-hmm. you don't just assume a meaning, you ask, what does that mean? Yeah. And do the same thing with scripture. When the Bible says that he is a jealous God, this is not some sort of stirred up emotion within him like, I feel jealous in competition, well, I'm going to show them. Yeah, yeah. No, he says, I, I'm, I'm protective of my own holiness. And I will not suffer a rival. Why? Because there are no rivals. They're all figments, they're all lies. And it's not just simply that he's jealous for himself; he's jealous for his people. He mm-hmm. wants them to know and to understand. And it's it's the image of the uh, the spouse, the the husband and wife. Yeah, he's in covenant relationship, and he's going to honor that. Yeah, there is a deep-seated affection that is built around this word. Again, not some sort of capricious, whimsical emotion. Yeah,
0: this isn't about you know that we think of the controlling boyfriend who's jealous, right? This is this is a God who is rightly Yes. Impassioned because it is good and right that you would serve him only. Yes. And I love what you said about that. It is not just f- jealous for his, his own sake, but it's for our sake as well. Mm-hmm. That we may experience all that he has for us in Christ. Mm. That is something that he longs for, and he's jealous for us to experience that. Um, because... Our God is the only one worthy of our worship. He is the only one worthy of anything. And uh, so our existence is completely tied to him. So the wrath of God is coming. God, being a jealous God, will bring it to be. But we also see that there is a kind of an end goal God has for all of this destruction that is coming. And in Zephaniah 3... So really interesting. Mm. It says, For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy all the earth shall be consumed. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. Mm. What is happening here? It's almost like there is a destruction that then leads to a Purification.
1: Well, it's first of all not universalism, and what I mean by that is all the world's going to come and believe and be saved. Yeah, uh, this is very much a, a, a purification. Mm. Uh, this is not a doesn't matter who you are. Eventually, everybody will enter heaven and get saved. Gotcha. And, and I've used, I've heard this verse used really? for that context. What God is saying is that there is going to be a time for all who turn against him. There's going to be a a washing clean Mm. of the human race, uh, of the earth. I guess anyone who turns their back on God and all who remain will lift up their voice with one accord to God. And this is not restricted to only Israel or some sort of specific uh, ethnicity. Yeah that the people that remain are gonna be people from every tribe, Mm. tongue, and nation, every people group, every uh, language group, that God is going to work his saving effect and draw the people to himself.
0: Amen. And a lot of that we see in Revelation.
1: We you do. Know, we we see, see the culmination of this.
0: So much of it coming about, the destruction of the wicked, the establishing of a new kingdom, the holiness of a people who've been, you know, mm. robed in bright linens. Um, it is just a beautiful picture of what God is going to do. You know,
1: and if we look at Scripture, it's so consistent with itself. When when, when Zephaniah and the minor prophets and the major prophets, the, the longer books, are speaking of, of this day of restoration and destruction but then leading to a day of the Lord when he will regather the mm-hmm. nations— Jesus himself spoke of this. He talked about the the days of tribulation in Matthew 24, but then the ingathering of the peoples of the world. He's going to send out his angels and gather the elect from the four corners of creation. And then we see the book of Revelation, that culmination, that the day is coming. And the day will come. And there's no question about the victory. It's just the timing. And the timing is not yet. But praise God, because if the timing had been a couple hundred years ago, mm. you and I, Mike, would not be here. That's so right. we thank God that He his timing is perfect yes. until the fullness of the elect are gathered.
0: Amen. And that is something we can look forward to. Uh, for those who are in Christ, we long for that day. If you do not know the Lord, uh, that is not something to take lightly. Mm. God is coming. He will bring wrath. But for those who are in him, he brings great reward and great joy in his Amen. presence. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us for today's episode. On our next episode, we will see God's fulfillment of all these prophecies as we discuss the destruction of Judah and Jerusalem. In the meantime, if you have questions about past episodes or something else you've read in your Bible, you can send us questions at questions at focusedonchrist.com. You can also find more information about Focused on Christ on our website at focusedonchrist.com.